I'm very excited to be back with y'all today. Um, I have, um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Kim Ronsleben, and I have not been here a lot because my life went crazy. Um, I had such good plans. Lyra is all settled in. Lyra is my, can I pick this up and move it? Is this going to break anything? I couldn't see Sarah. Um, so... Um, I had big plans, and then I got really sick at the beginning of the fall semester, and then Dave asked us on December 12th which of these topics you would like to take, and on December 14th, my mom fell and was care flighted to Lubbock with 12 fractures and breaks in her hips and back, which is as awful as you can possibly imagine, and so it was my great privilege to be with her to take care of her. So I get back one week and I came to youth and then I got COVID. <laughs> yeah, super fun. So I'm apparently, they say I'm free of, um, but if you don't want to hug, I completely understand. Um, but it was really good to be with mom. It was only there, I was only there with her a week before I emailed Dave and said, this is the talk I want. My mom is 78 now. And I'm conscious of the fact that I don't have a lot of years left, so I want these years to be good. But the injuries only highlighted something that she has been dealing with all of her life, and that's this topic. So to start off, you have the first one, go to the next one. So what is depression, and what does the Bible say about it? Well, I'm going to describe it rather than define it, because as you hear what it's like for me, you may find some similarities in that as we talk. So depression, I want you to think about it like this. Picture the thing when you wake up in the morning and you are so excited for that thing to happen. The trip is finally here. The playoff game is here. You are geared up and ready. It's the birthday party. It's the best friend you haven't seen in a while. You are excited about what's happening. You get maybe a little nervous, but that excitement and nervousness only fuels you more. Now just picture the opposite of that. Picture that when you wake up, the last thing you wanna do is to move forward. It's like a feeling of frozen, like a fog has just descended on you and you cannot shake it. It's kind of like sadness, sort of, sometimes, but it's not an immediate sharp sadness, like when you get injured or when your pet dies. There's that immediate sadness that you process through. This is not that. It doesn't even have something you can always point to. There's this foggy anxiousness, sadness, but it's not like other sadnesses and griefs, griefs because those are not shallow. It's just this is like surface and lingers through every part of you and every part of the day. I always tell my girls it was like if it doesn't matter and I don't care became a person. Just held in this weird stasis. Back when mom was growing up, nobody talked about depression at all. It and any other mental disorder was considered a weakness in you. If you're anxious or you have depression or if you have a situation going on and you can't handle it, that's because of you. You're the problem. It wasn't about trying to find a chemical balance. It wasn't try trying to put forth some effort through counseling. There weren't even any counselors that I had ever heard of except in school. Nobody went to therapy that I knew 
Maybe that was a West Texas small town thing. But even my extended family, I didn't know anybody who even used the word therapy. So that's where she was. But of course, what that leads to is that you constantly thinking that if I'm feeling this way, it's my fault. I'm selfish. I can't think about other people. I'm the problem. Lots have changed, of course. We're going to look at some, just some, of the causes of depression that will be up on the screen. We now know that some causes of depression are hormonal, right? Anybody, any women in this room understand that the hormones can cause issues within your body? No? That's, it's fine. But just so you know, guys, you're not immune either. Just ask your moms what you've been like since you were 10 through 19, and they'll tell you you've been a little, a little crazy sometimes. That's okay. When your body floods with hormones, your moods change dramatically. Our moods are absolutely messed up by hormones. But other chemical processes can do it too. You can have too little dopamine, too little serotonin. You can have neural transmitters and neural receptors both go kind of wonky on you. It's like the quarterback and the receiver, both broken arm, but they still have to play. It just doesn't work out so well. There are lots of other things that can cause depression as well, situations and circumstances that will hit your life. Death, loss, even kind of moving and losing all that you've known. There's other desperate circumstances that can cause it. Trauma can happen through war, poverty, child abuse that leave lasting effects on us. There's even a thing, and I put it, called seasonal depression that's more for our friends in the north. My, my oldest daughter lives in Kentucky, and there are sometimes weeks where she doesn't glimpse the sun, and it can lead to changes in mood. But getting that across to my mom has been a challenge as I've learned more and tried to pass it on to her. She has been depressed and anxious all of my life. There's not a time after the age of about 10 where I don't picture my mom in her dark bedroom with the door closed, shades drawn, just laying there for hours, not able to really move, not able to get food on the table for her kids not able to handle any stress I was going through. It was all she could do when we opened the door to cry and apologize. But she wasn't apologizing for the depression. There's a big difference. She was apologizing for herself, for being the kind of person who's depressed, for being the kind of person who needs help. It's, a, it's so tragic to me that the largest feeling I can remember from my mom is shame. Shame that she wasn't stronger, shame that she wasn't capable, that she was like this. So that's what I knew about depression. As I'm growing up, I knew that it took you under, it kept you there, that it was shameful, that it's your fault. I felt it during my monthly cycles, and I was determined not to be the person my mom was but then I felt it deeply myself. I was physically abused throughout my whole first 10 years by my alcoholic, raging father. I was sexually abused for years after that by another man in our life. 
And I had so much hate. I hated who I was. I hated them. I hated life. I hated that this was happening. I wanted to be strong. I wanted to be capable. I didn't want to be a victim to any man, much less my own body. When I was 11, it was the first time I drank alcohol to numb myself to sleep. That happened several times a week. There was a stash of vodka in my house. Like I said, my parents drank consistently. And I started drinking when I couldn't shut my mind off, when I, I couldn't push it all away. That lasted until I started adding other drugs into the mix. And then that deepened to more and more kinds of drugs in my life. I was addicted. I was addicted not to the drug itself and weirdly not like to this high or giddiness that you might see portrayed. I was addicted to feeling nothing about myself. It felt then like I was kind of floating. It was the best feeling until I couldn't do without it. I was addicted. It was 19 when God broke me free of it. But I wasn't a believer then. But I know that he did it now that I look back on it. And 19 may seem young to you, but that was eight long years of using almost daily at that point. But on January of 1987, that's two centuries ago to y'all, I saw what I was doing, like looking at my life from above. It's like I could see what I had not seen before. And one night as I was sitting at a party on, on college campus, literally about to throw down a quarter for a shot, that in that moment, I saw what I had become. I saw how abusive I was to other people. I saw how abusive I was to myself. I saw myself as completely worthless, and it broke something in me. For days and weeks that turned into months afterwards, I, I barely existed. Weeks of not really getting out of bed. Finally got an email. No, I didn't. I finally got a picture of a piece of mail. Just making sure you know how old I was. We didn't have computers. Sorry. Um, I finally got a piece of mail that said, you're going to be kicked out of school. Well, for me, that meant going back home. So that was a no-go. And it was the first thing that got me up and out the door and back into class. And I existed through it. But during those weeks where I tried to make it, I also tried to kill myself twice. And I didn't do it grasping for help. I didn't leave a note, and I made sure I did it where my body wouldn't be found for days. I wasn't looking for help. I wasn't crying out. I just wanted to be done. But it didn't work, thanks to God. And I just kept existing. Time went on. My mood lifted a little. God brought people into my life that helped me so much. I'm going to fast forward you to me being about eight, ten years later, eight to ten years later. And I'm married. I've got three precious girls. I became a Christian, one of the things I promised myself I would never do. And we came to TBC shortly after that. And I began learning about a thing called the Bible. Do you all have one of those? a Bible, and we got around Christians, which I had never spent much time with, and y'all are weird, just in case you wonder. Um, and guess what? They started talking to me about depression. And you know what I realized? They felt exactly the way my mom and I did. 
not only did they feel low about it, they actually felt shame about it. But I thought it would be different. I thought that if you became a Christian, somehow you would rise above it all, kind of float through life, untroubled by these strange emotions that the world seems to deal with. And that kind of sounds right, doesn't it? Like it does seem right that there is something about a relationship of God that should give you something the world cannot touch. But here we were, Christians who love God, and the world was touching us. Our bodies were touching us. We were enmeshed into this thing called depression. And the issue is, the Bible, if you put in the word depression into a Google search in, in a Bible app, you will not see the word depression. So it makes people think that what they're experiencing is separate from being a Christian. But I want you to listen to words like this. Next slide. Lamentations 3. You all know one verse, probably you've, you know, the mercies of the Lord are new. But listen to Jeremiah here. God has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is empty of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished and so has my hope from God. This is from one of God's prophets, Jeremiah, who heard the voice of God, who spoke to the people of God about God. He knew him and knew him well, but he was brought to helplessness, to hopelessness. But maybe it's just him. It's not. By the way, this next one, this is a psalm. Do you know what psalms are? Songs. These are, these are songs to sing in church. You ready for this? For my soul is full of trouble and my life draws near to Sheol, the place of the dead. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a person who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those who you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit in regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. These people, God's people, felt trapped, heavy, burdened. They felt like they must have done something wrong, like God's wrath must be lying on them. They have no strength to move. They're laying there like the dead do. Now everybody sing. Can you imagine if this is the song you just sang, but God put it in there and put lamentations in there so he would... His people would know these are the feelings of the people of God. But maybe that's just Old Testament. Surely once the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you and gives you the mind of Christ, surely everything's different, right? Well, Paul had all of that. Uh, not yet. Paul had all of that. And here's what he said about himself. At one point he says he's burdened to the point of feeling like he wouldn't live. Not sick. He's burdened, weighted down, troubled, so much so that it feels like he cannot live through this. Another place, he asked the people to pray for him because of his anxiety. He wants prayer for his anxiety over all the churches. He says in that passage, who is weak if it's not me? But again, Paul, 
human, kind of like us. Maybe Jesus was different. Well, watch this from Mark 14. And when they went to the place called Gethsemane, because Jesus knew he would die, he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John to go a little bit further. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. So hear me, these words from Jesus, greatly distressed. The Greek means grieving, upset, fearful, anxious. Troubled means weighted, heavy. Like something's just pushing you down to the ground and you can't get set free. Jesus said he was sad, but so sad that it felt like death inside of him. So does that mean that Jesus had a dysfunctional relationship with God? No, of course not right? Did he just miss seeing his father? No, he was perfect in his sight. So much so that Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. I do whatever he tells me to do. Whatever I speak, it's from him. So why does he feel this way? I'm going to give you two reasons why Christians feel this way. The first one is this. It rightly reflects the world around us when you are troubled and grieved, and sad, and weighted down. There are things in this world that kill and cripple, that come and destroy. Earthquake in Syria and Turkey. Millions homeless. Tens of thousands dead in one afternoon. Then there's ice storms and snowstorms that happened this weekend that killed people slowly in their homes and in their cars. And we live with awful things that people do to each other. 40 million people trafficked right now into slavery. 90% of those are women and children. There's a war over in Ukraine that has pushed out 3 million people from their homes. Hundreds of thousands are dead. 500 kids were bombed. But that's not on my mind as much as last weekend. Anybody know the unbelievable tragedy that we went through as a nation last weekend? Did it even make your news? Let me tell you this. It was the largest number of mass shootings and casualties in American history. So February 17th through the 19th, there were 10 mass shootings in three days with 50 victims, the largest number ever in America. Nine children were struck by bullets at a Georgia gas station. Six people were assaulted in a small Mississippi town. In New Orleans Parade, five. Chicago Expressway, nine. That's, that's just half of the number of people who pulled out a gun and started shooting randomly. That's not even all the death and destruction and sickness and trials and pressures that you feel on a daily basis. But then we could go deeper into the sins that you commit, the ones you confess to your friends. That we, there's an author named Jerry Bridges who called those respectable sins. 
when you're irritated, frustrated, impatient, you know, the things that we just all are. But then there's those sins that you don't confess. The sins you haven't told anyone, the sins that you would be so ashamed. You feel like you would have to change schools if somebody found out about it. I know that it's true, but not because I read about them in a book, but because they're right inside of me. The Bible is clear from 1 Corinthians that every temptation you're going through is common. It's just, it's just normal to mankind. So there's all of that. And guess what? When you show sadness and grief and heaviness and sorrow, you rightly show the world that it is worth mourning. It's worth your tears. It's, it's not supposed to be something we don't care about. But there's a second reason why Christians should feel this way, and it's because it rightly reflects Jesus to the world. He is grieved by sin and pain. He does not delight in the death of anyone. The Bible says that phrase. He does not delight in the death of anyone. God hurts, and his people can grieve him. He has felt forsaken by his people, cast aside by his people. He feels all the feelings. God's not up there just going, I love or I hate. He feels everything. The reason you have feelings is because God feels. You reflect him rightly when what saddens God saddens you. Jesus wept over death. Then he wept with longing over the people of Israel who did not come to him. He is close to the brokenhearted because he understands their pain. Over and over, the Bible uses a characteristic about Jesus. It keeps saying that he, he had compassion. Compassion for us and our suffering. Compassion for our lostness. Compassion on the sick. Compassion on the broken and the cripple. He had compassion. And when we go low, when we co communal passion, the aches and pains and joys, we act like Jesus to the world. So what do we do about this depression? Just feel it? Am I just saying, okay, you're depressed, just feel it, that's gonna, you're gonna go okay. Well, do you do that with any other emotion? When you're angry, is it okay just to be angry and you just do whatever you feel like with it? No, of course not. Every part of our bodies is affected by sin. And so is depression. So I do want you to know it's normal, but I don't want you to walk up to somebody who's depressed and pat him on the back and say, hey, it's normal, have a good day. I want you to be a help to them. And I want to be a help to you if this is where you've been and this is what you've felt. Because I want you to notice, again, in Jesus, did he just feel sorrowful and troubled and distressed and he just kept it to himself? No, he poured his heart out to God and he asked his friends for help. And I'm going to start with that first one. Pour out your heart, how you're feeling, what you're going through to God. Talk to him. But it's, it's like that we, when we think about this, like, like we're going to face a God who's disappointed in us. 
He's going to be, he's going to tell you like all the things you've done wrong. He's just going to hold up a mirror to you of everything you're not. That's not how it works. Christ paid. If you're his, Christ paid for all of your sin and all of your shame. All he wants to do is show you Christ. He wants to show you who you are. And he wants to have compassion on you in your troubles. So go to God and talk to him. What did Jeremiah do? Poured it out to God. What did the sons of Korah do? Turn it into a worship song. If that's the way your body has been made by God, write it out. Speak to him. Feel like you're weighted down? Go to him and tell him. Feel like your future is hopeless? Tell him. Feel like you'll never be free of this sin and shame? Tell him. He is for you and loves you with an everlasting love. You cannot disappoint him. He knows you fully. Secondly, receive from God through his word. Okay, here's going to be one weird thing about the church. Y'all ready for this? We don't read the Bible. Isn't that strange? Like, how many of you in here would say that the Bible is important for knowing God? Just truly. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you're actually reading it. It's too tempting to lie and too tempting to brag. So you don't get helped either way. But just know this. One reason you don't know about the hope that you have in Christ, one reason you don't know about how God feels is because you actually aren't reading what he says. So there are three reasons, and these aren't listed on a slide, but three reasons women have told me over the years that they don't read. So I'm going to cover these three. We're ashamed that we haven't read and prayed, so we don't read and pray. Okay, that's number one. Two, we don't think it's going to be much help. It's a big old book. How am I supposed to know where to go? And then number three, we don't know where to start. Right? Okay, so let me help you. You feel ashamed when you haven't read the Bible or prayed, so you don't pray. How long is that going to last? What did Jesus do with your shame? It says it in the Bible, and I don't mean to pound that into you, but it literally says it in the Bible, that he bore our guilt and our shame on the cross. It's dead. Your shame is crucified. He took it with him into the grave, and when he rose, he left it dead. When you go before the Father, he does not see you as the sum of your screw-ups. He sees you as his son, as his daughter, as precious to him. Guys, I'll tell you a hint as a mom. There's not a time that my girls can't walk into my room, even if we've been fighting, and just come to me. And that's just me as a screwed up mom. How much more will your heavenly father rejoice to hear your voice talking to him and to see your eyes receiving from him. Read the word. Well, it won't help, right? Well, here's the good news. In the Bible, he actually promises it will. His word will be a lamp to your feet 
right where you are to help you to know where you're standing and it will be a light to your path so you know the way to go forward. So where to start? You can literally start anywhere. But if you want a hint, just just kick start back into it again. Pick a psalm a day. Just start at Psalm 1. And then pick maybe John. John's a good book. Pick John. And don't read the psalms and read John. You're just going to read part. And if the psalm, like you get to Psalm 139 and it's hundreds of verses, just chunks, just little chunks of it. If you can only read half a psalm, read half a psalm. And then a little section of John. It doesn't have to be a lot. If you want to join one more in, my favorite section of Scripture that has helped me to see God throughout my time of being a Christian is Isaiah chapter 40 through chapter 66 through the end. Chapter 40 through 66 in Isaiah. It has reset my gaze. It has established me again. It has comforted me in my grief. It has helped me not to be afraid. I have confidence from Isaiah 40 through 66. Because when I'm there, this is another thing, you have to believe what you're reading. Let his word fight the lies inside of your head. Let it remake you into who you really are in him and not what you think about yourself. And the third thing, move your mind and your body. Move. Find things that bring light and life to you, that help your body to feel alive, that helps your mind to kind of disconnect from its focus on itself. That seems easy to say, but as I said, being depressed isn't very different from being angry. It's not a sin to be depressed. It can be sin with what you do out of it. So watch yourself. Do not make depression your identity. Like, this is just the way I am. This is the way I'll always be. That is not true in Christ. But it's also not true of anybody. People are beautiful, created in the image of God. They are complex creatures with things that bring them joy and life and things that bring them down. No one is the sum of a, of a diagnosis. Get to know the person inside of you and get to know the person that you're trying to help. Separate from there. Don't ever say, I am just depressed. There's no more hope for me. I want to tell you this statement. It'll pop on the brain, on the screen. People, you don't have to feel things to do things. Oh my goodness, if there's one thing being a mama teaches you, it is that. Because little babies do not care how depressed I am. They need to be fed. They are hungry. They are wet. They have to be changed. I have to move because I now have human beings relying on me. When I was your age, I honestly did not know that my emotions, no matter how deep and dark, could hold on a minute. It's actually one of the things I try to teach y'all at Impact. Can you... For those of you who've been in it for a while, can you get a sense of what do I tell you? When you pick up the basket, you are on. I don't really care what's going on in your life. I don't really care how much you hate your co-captain. Nobody else is going to know it either. Put a smile on your face. Get some energy. 
I know it's Wednesday. It's water day. You're exhausted. The kids don't deserve that from you. So gear up, pick up that basket, go excited, come back here excited until you lay that basket back down and then just fall apart. I don't care. I'll hold you. We'll talk. I'm ready for you. But during 90 minutes, who you are and how you feel is not our priority. Who they are and how they feel, it is. And if you talk to people who've been an impact, that's one of the things that kind of helps it to feel like the most amazing ministry because for 90 minutes, everybody's together in this. We kind of get to lay aside what we're bringing to the table and just be focused on this. But as those of who've graduated know, the reason I started doing the pick up the basket, turn on until you lay it back down is because I didn't know at your age that I could metaphorically pick up my kids and lay myself down and be on for them. When I was first married, my husband couldn't walk in the door before I started pouring out what was wrong and what I needed help with. He's a football coach, which means that's every day from 9.30 to 10. That's the time. And also two and a half minutes at every lunchtime. So I used to try and take advantage of every minute I had with him just to pour out. And then I realized a mitt can wait. So Wayne sometimes says, you doing okay? And I'm like, we'll talk about it in December. Like, it'll either be over or I'll need help. But we'll talk about it in December. It's not that he doesn't care. And if we do have time, of course he wants to hear it. And of course I'll pour it out. But I can wait. Things can hold. Because I know, I know that my Christ will hold all things together. So if you're depressed and anxious kind of person, I want you to know that as I'm saying this kind of list, it can sound like I'm telling you to climb a mountain. And the deal is, I kind of want you to. But I only want you to take a few steps every day. I don't know what brings you life and joy. I don't know what you need to do it. Be outside. Sunshine helps. Praise the Lord we're in Texas and not Minnesota. Get outside. Be with friends. Maybe you need a new friend group. Be with people who bring light and life to you. But that doesn't mean you can also stop doing things that are hard and miserable. Like I'm not up here saying if school doesn't spark joy for you, then you can just quit. No, we're all, we're all surrounded by our responsibilities and our duties. But if you will set yourself to think to your head, let me pick up the basket, let me lay myself aside and let me do what I know I can do. And that doesn't mean you can't feel it again. On the last one, oh wait, let me say this in this final. Watch your schedule. If you do nothing but veg all day or you are insanely busy, both will drive you there. Both will keep you there. You cannot be insanely busy and you cannot rest all day long. Either one of those for an extended period of time is going to drive you down and keep you there. Also, watch what you eat. We are embodied souls. Our emotions, our thoughts, they are attached to this body. 
and what you put in it matters. I am not saying don't go get Whataburger. Go get some Whataburger. That's fine. But I am saying that you find yourself eating a certain way and it just kind of goes downhill. I mean, think about it. My body hates sugar right now. Causes problems inside of me. Wasn't true before. May not be true soon, but this time it is. So I have to watch myself. Check on what you do. Doing all of these things is not a cure for depression, by the way. I'm not saying you do all these things and you're not depressed anymore. I'm saying this is what you can do while you're depressed. Know the difference. But last one, check for guilt and confess it to God and others. Dear friends, please know this. There is nothing that will eat up your joy like sin. There is nothing like that nasty, slimy sense of shame that comes over you. Confess it. Just own it. Wages of sin is death. But remember, Adam and Eve were supposed to die when they ate of the fruit, and they didn't. But yeah, they did. It brought death, a slow, creeping kind of death that invaded every relationship that invaded how they saw each other, how they saw themselves. Sin does exactly that to us today. If that's what's eating away at you, confess it. Did you make an idol out of a relationship? Have you found yourself doing what you can't even believe you're doing for just a little, a little attention from her? Just a little attention from him. Do you find yourself compromising for online relationships and ignoring the relationships around you? Are you numbing yourself to the pain and how you feel about yourself? The alcohol and drugs and porn and fantasy and online relationships, not realizing that it is slowly taking away who you really are. You know how I know what happens with every line and puff and click? Because that was me. That was me. Remember? That's me. I know what I became and who I was in doing all I could to just escape the guilt I felt. But if you're a believer in Christ, you don't have to do any of that. It literally, just confess it to God. 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to purify you from all unrighteousness. He's here for you to help you through it all. And I have it now. I have the love of God. I have, I have the peace of God. I am in love with him and he is in love with me. And I take an antidepressant. And I take an antidepressant. Not, and then I lost sight of him again, so I need an antidepressant. No, no, no. I know he loves me. Words from his word right now are flowing through my head. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that's mine in Christ Jesus. I know it. And I'm on an antidepressant. Being a Christian is not causing me to float above the troubles of my mind and my body and my situations and my circumstances and the trauma that I went through as a child that still pierces its way into my life today. 
do not feel ashamed if an antidepressant is what you need. But do me a favor. Do not ask your friends if you need it. And honestly, for most of us, like, don't come to me and ask. Don't ask your leaders unless they happen to be a, your actual physician. <laughs> Talk to your doctor. Ask your parents if you can make an appointment with your physician to just talk about how you've been feeling, to see if they think that you might could use an antidepressant for a while or other, other chemical things that may be off that they can test for. Do not think that those who take no medicine are somehow in higher esteem with God. Jesus was needy. So am I. But also know this about your friends. Do you remember what Jesus did? Did he pour out to his friends? No, he poured out to his God and he told his friends, will you stay here with me? If you have a friend who's depressed, if you're wondering how to help them, your job is not to counsel, it's not to fix, it's to remain here with me. Will you remain and watch with me? And will you get to know the whole me? Should we define how Jesus is by that one night in the garden? Is this all we know of him? Of course not. And that's not all you should know about your friend too. Your job is not to fix, not to counsel, not to get them drugs. Your job is to just remain and watch. But if you find yourself wanting to pour out to every friend around you, know you're doing them a disservice. They've not become your friend. They've become someone you're using to try to get better. There are counselors that you can see. People who will sit with you and go through the muck with you and will help point out habits of thinking and habits of your body that you can redirect to health and to life. If you want to find yourself just wanting to vent, pour out, be with your friends only for this, don't, don't use them to numb your pain. Seek help. And if you don't know of one or don't know how to find one, just ask us. We can get you to someone who can help. Finally, I just want you to know this. It's not a slide. <laughs> I got to thinking this morning as we were worshiping about those of you who are here, and you don't know the love of Christ, and you don't know the love of God. And I just want you to know, as someone who was also not a believer at your age, I'm really sorry. I really am. And I mean that with all my heart. I feel like weeping right now. I'm so sorry. Because I know that you are your only hope, and I know how much that sucks. I know how deep and desperate it is to feel the weight of the sin that's been piling up and have no place to go with it. I know what it was like not to be able to look at my eyes in the mirror because I hated what I saw. If that's you then I want you to know there are words to replace those thoughts. There's an image to replace your image. There are, there's a family, and I don't just mean church. I mean God adopting you as his own child and giving you Jesus as your brother, the Holy Spirit as your helper, your guide. These are true realities that can set you free from yourself. If you don't know that, please don't leave here without saying to a leader, 
I don't know if God has taken my sin away through Jesus. I don't know if I bear the guilt and shame of my past. I want to know that I am free. They would love to help that happen. Let me pray. Father, I do thank you for the gift of knowing you, for being found in you. Jesus, I thank you that, like Colossians 3 said, that you took our lives and you hid them, Father, in Christ, in God. We are wrapped, surrounded by our Christ and by our God. There is nothing that can separate us from that. Help us to be free of the shame of being human. Help us to rejoice all the more in our weaknesses because where we're weak, the Father shows up. Our Christ saves us. The Holy Spirit leads and guides us. Help me ever more, especially as I age, especially as all of us age. Help us to, help us to slowly go into that rejoicing that our weakness will only highlight you more. Help us to accept the infirmities of our bodies just like Jesus did. To be willing to lay it all down. And Father, for those who are out here and do not know you, it's so hard to peel your hands off of your life to take hold of Christ. Convince them now, Father, that, that giving up everything is worth everything because of what they find in you. Father, help us to go down into the grave every day to die to ourselves that we might rise with you. The rise is so worth the dying. Do it all, Father, for the Son's name to be glorified in heaven and on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. I have no idea what time it is. Generally, I go silly long. 12.05.